What is up, Brad fans? Welcome to the show, and you know the drill. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Rate, subscribe, follow, comment, all that good stuff that helps this show grow. This show that you love so much helps it grow, helps it get to more people who could also then love it as much as you. So, you know, help us out. Do your part. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at 2 brad for you at bvamparadon. Either of those. Drop a line, question, comment, anything like that. Uh, send me a voice recording with a question or a comment. I will play it if it's cool enough to get on the show. You know? There you go. You have a window to participate. Um, also, our website, 2bradforyou.wordpress.com, has a comment form. So those are your options. 2 brad for you at bvamparadon on the socials. Or the website, 2bradforyou.wordpress.com. Enough of that. Today, we are breaking from the natural sciences we normally focus on to my second passion, the political sciences. And as always, for these 2 Brad for Politics episodes, as we're calling them, I am joined by my good friends back in Alberta, back in Canada, um, Scott Coleman, and normally Steve would in, would join us for these but he was unavailable so it was just the three of us and we caught up talking about the summer in Canadian politics the wee scandal how that left Justin Trudeau and the Liberals feeling their position moving into uh, a throne speech we also talked about the new conservative leader Aaron O'Toole the conservative party had their leadership race election uh, over the summer so we talked about those things um how that positions the two parties with this now throne speech that was delivered on September 23rd. For those outside of Canada, the throne speech is basically the government saying this is the priorities for the next um, term, whatever you want to call it, session of parliament. Um, and it's the first chance that the opposition parties have to vote against the government. Um, and we do have a minority government in Canada, so if they decided they could trigger an election, they did not do that. But we talked a little bit about what was in the throne speech, what would be the tactics uh, moving forward for some of these parties um, in light of new leadership, etc. Then, of course, we had to, had to touch on the news of the century, the news of the hour, the news that changes by the minute, the U.S. situation We'll be polite and call it a situation and not an absolute dumpster fire. Um, but after that debate, it looks even more like an absolute dumpster fire. And we recorded this on Saturday, October 3rd. And I feel the need to say that because, my God, the news is changing so fast. So we had just got the notification of Donald Trump's positive diagnosis with covid we were speculating throughout the episode whether he was going to live or not. <laughs> Maybe it's a little callous, but for a man that's so callous, I don't feel too much sympathy. Um, yeah, so I felt the need to bring that up because this the situation is just changing so fast. There is just too much news around it. But we had a good time talking about it, what, what the diagnosis means for the election in our humble opinions, and just kind of you know, gaming through some of these scenarios of like, what is what is going to happen? How worried should we be about this, about the the fall of democracy in the U.S., things like that? And this is uh, surprisingly where our opinions diverged a little bit. Anywho, if you like politics, uh, if you're a politi political junkie like we are, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, like I said, 
as always, reach out to us. Let, let us know what you think or leave a comment and let us know what you think there. And that's enough for me. Here we go. Too Bad for Politics, Episode 3 with my good friends, Coleman Wilkinson, Scott Stoley. Enjoy. Now we're back with the the panel of regular, ordinary workabout guys, aka the the constituents, the people, the voters, the ones whose opinions matter. Correct. Uh, we have Scott Stoley back with us in Calgary. Scott, how's it going? You can say proles, Brad. It's fine. But <laughs> uh, yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. All right, and representing the frigid. Neo Frozen North Coleman in Edmonton, aka Lionel Steel. Follow on Instagram. That's right. Well, and get in touch if you want to be a part of Coleman's new uh, business of making photoshopped avatars for your uh, fantasy football teams. Not just fantasy football, really any any sport I, I, I can make work. Um, it's great to be back on the podcast, and uh, I always like how you never try and oversell my qualifications when we're we're entering this. <laughs> Can't it's like this is a regular, ordinary, mediocre, mm. average at best. Nothing, nothing particularly noteworthy about these these motherfuckers. They're gonna talk about politics from the the dirt level. Dude, I'm trying to distinguish us from you know the media elites, the mainstream, the lamestream media, the political punditry class. We're the ones who vote. We're the ones whose opinions matter. Correct, right? I, I should put an asterisk on that. I've never actually voted in any election at any level. <laughs> I've always been so busy. <laughs> well, this year, this uh, this coming uh, municipal round, you should have plenty of time. No. Oh, thank God we staved off a, a federal election coming up here. I'm, I was worried I was going to have to take time out of my busy unemployment schedule to vote. <laughs> well, and it appears that we did uh, avoid the election. That is the Canadian federal election, snap election. So let's start there because we all want to get to the massive tire fire burning on the uh, southern border of Canada. We'll save that for the end because if we started with that, any any problems that we have with Canadian politics would just seem like insignificant in comparison but let's start with the busy well we haven't talked in a while so we'll go we'll go back a little bit to the summertime normally supposed to be a quiet time in politics we had the corona crisis of course everybody's dealing with that but then we had a a a massive scandal in canadian terms the we scandal for the folks that may not know what this is very briefly, Justin Trudeau's liberal minority government had to had a bunch of money that they wanted to get to students. How do we distribute this money to students was their conundrum. Well, we could look for a third party to distribute the money to hardworking students who didn't get any of the other federal benefits because they didn't qualify. And that's what they did. All seemed good. They turned to the WE charity, who has a long history of working with students and setting up grant programs and seemingly had the infrastructure to do so. However, as it turns out, the owners of the WE charity, two twin brothers, I believe, were good friends with the liberals. This started to cause some problems, draw some eyes, we'll say, and more and more dripped out that it was a what should we call it? A no-bid contract. They were given the contract right away with no other uh, third-party entities being eligible for this uh, distribution scheme. Maybe scheme is probably the wrong language there. No, but I think it's pretty accurate. You can go with scheme, yeah. 
uh, and then as it as more and more dripped out, it turned out that there was speaking fees that the prime minister's brother and wife and mother had been given for uh, speaking at these charity events, these we charity events, and more and more it just looked like, wow, rich people giving rich people a rich contract without considering anyone else. So insider trading, whatever you want to call it, pretty standard in terms of corruption amongst the political elite and the rich classes of basically any Western democracy, I would say. But, you know, people were outraged more none more so than pierre polivier i think uh of the conser- the conservative government and we won't mention his sordid past of uh schemes involving wasted taxpayer money we can save that for another time but the we scandal in the end the students were the ones that were hurt i don't know if they ever got their money because <laughs> the whole program was canceled but uh i'll go to you first scott what did you think of the Wee scandal? Were you outraged? Was it something that would, you know, you think push the needle for a lot of voters if there was an election upcoming? Or is it kind of, you know, unfortunate that this corruption exists, but kind of par for the course? I mean, sadly, I do think it is a little bit par for the course, which is disappointing. I think the shine has very much come off Justin Trudeau and this liberal government over the last several years with kind of various scandals and questionable decisions. And this simply is kind of one other drip in that slow drip of uh, at least my confidence fading in them. Um, But does it move the needle for me massively? I guess probably not, only because as we'll probably get into, the alternatives are also so disorganized or bad that uh, it would seem hard for a scan. You know, we need to almost need a much bigger scandal before I'm going to start thinking about O'Toole and the conservatives or Singh and the NDP as serious contenders to replace the government. Uh, I think Justin Trudeau did really luck out with the timing of all this, that if you're going to have a massive scandal like this probably do it mid pandemic when uh you know everyone is focused on other things and you could say listen should we really be talking about this or uh you know there's a virus and we need to save lives and in the midst of a bit of a popularity bump so i think that really mitigated things for him i also think if you're going to have a big scandal do it when you're just to the north of donald trump because it seems <laughs> we get so much american news And this would be like one of 12 scandals that would come out on a Wednesday for the Trump administration. So it almost seems to me as if Canadians with our steady American news diet have a get a bit of scandal fatigue. And, uh, you know, you hear in the States about, you know, it'd be like Trump gives a billion dollars of relief money to some friend of his for his yacht club or something. And you're like, oh, what is this? You know, the numbers here, we're talking Canada, it's tens of thousands of dollars here, there in speaking fees. Um, I mean, I think it is outrageous. And that, uh, like, I would like to like this Liberal Party more. And then they just seem to want to prove themselves to be somewhat inept and somewhat corrupt, but not inept or corrupt enough to make me really start looking at the alternatives. <laughs> it is unfortunate. Uh, it does. It does. I, I I resonate with that. It's like, I want to like you. Please, please do better. Um, yeah. it, I think it also speaks to, like I said, the ineptitude of this. 
there was easy ways to get around this. The prime minister could have recused himself from the decision-making process of who gets this money. They could have, even if the, the decision was going to be made uh, already that we was going to get it, they could they could have ran a sham process. So it kind of speaks to that. Like I feel like Harper would have never let this shit happen. He probably would have done something similar, but he never would have let anyone find out about it. Coleman, what's your what's your take on the whole we? Well, I just I just think like, like you say, they were looking for a way to get uh, students' money during a pandemic. And as far as the federal government's concerned, they have no mechanism for delivering <laughs> delivering large amounts of money to the Canadian populace quickly and efficiently like i can't remember a single a single moment in canadian history where there's been some sort of some sort of like big hit to the economy and many people were out of jobs and they needed to disperse money <laughs> quickly and efficiently to the the people of canada so i understand why they they went with a fucking charity of all things to get this out with for the people, obviously, that are just listening to this, you can't see Coleman dusting off his SERP check, his, yeah, yeah, that's his rapid relief that, money that was given to him by the federal proud, government. As a, as a proud recipient of SERP, I'm just like, let's give these guys a chance to explain themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think, to go, like, yeah, I agree with Scott. I, I think, and to make this point much more stupid than what Scott said, I think... <laughs> Like, uh, the Liberal Party of Canada is, like, this this person you're dating, and once or <laughs> twice a year, they do something pretty shitty. Like, you just, like, you start texting them on a Friday night, and they don't get back to you, and then they just show up Sunday morning, and you're like, where were you? What did you do? And then they come up with this great apology and this great romantic gesture. They have great hair. Great hair. Great hair. And they just like bring it back in the fold. You know what? And you're like, you know what? Every once in a while they might act up, but they, they do a pretty good job. And, and they kind of like, subtly remind you how terrible your ex was. They're like, well, Yeah. Remember, you remember Harper? Remember, yeah. You remember, <laughs> you remember how horrible things were? <laughs> <laughs> you remember how the grocery stores ran out of bread all the time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you remember how bad things were under Harper? And as they do this all the time, and agreeing with scott it's like who the fuck else are we going to put in power in this country really well that's almost okay seems to be the problem in that maybe that if you're the liberal party you think you can get away with these sorts of things because you're thinking yeah well who else are they going to vote for as nah. long as you know and to be fair to them like i didn't i thought they lost the moral high what was the last i can't even remember what the last scandal was that got me to not vote for them in the last election because like I was just, I do. Was it hmm? blackface? Could be blackface. Uh, I don't think it was. I think he lost. <laughs> he's, he's, Actually, no, I wasn't. No, you know what did it? That. It was, it was proportional. <laughs> they lost me right away with the proportional or the, the electoral reform thing. They failed on that. Yeah. They lost me on that. So I was like, whatever. So I voted NDP, I think, in the last election, which is like basically was, throwing your, yeah, throwing your vote away. Yes. Yeah. So, um, it, but I'm like, these guys don't, they've done a pretty good job handling this pandemic as far as like, keeping things going like they've put us horribly in debt but like what's what's horrible debt these days like i'm here to tell you it's not that bad um <laughs> it's something you can just being a millennial like we're all just yeah. like crippling debt that's what you deal with <laughs> i got I high hope i got high hopes for my late 30s high hopes but uh <laughs> a bit of an economic argument i think from some economists i've read that it's like 
people complain we're just kicking this debt can down to our children, but then our children can just kick it to their children and they'll kick it to their <laughs> children until eventually we have robots to just pull wealth out of the air and uh, then we'll all just live in paradise. That's my hope. And anyway. also, I can make the brave choice to end my bloodline with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there will be there will be no one to no one to accept Coleman's part of the debt. This is the last Lionel Steel to ever pay debt. Yeah, you will bury me in the cold dead ground debt free. It is actually a conspiracy of the three and a half billion women on the planet to uh stop Coleman's bloodline, you know, in its <laughs> tracks right now. They're doing a good job. They're doing a pretty good job. I'm not gonna lie to you. There are no um, women in the background of Coleman's shot, you will note. No, that's, that Serb check hasn't uh, brought in the throngs of fans, adoring fans. Um, jokes aside, I think this is like, it's actually, it's really kind of depressing that that is the state. And that it, I, to me, that's a pretty accurate description of like, I really don't see, a, the NDP is gone i mean i don't know what they're doing i don't think they have any money to run an election to run an election we, campaign. We, we bash the ndp when we get to the throne speech i like how they handled that but go on okay sure but uh well that is the 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 next big topic that happened over the summer was the conservatives electing a new leader and this would be my um you know we can if you want to touch on the response to the the conservative response to the we scandal we can but i think we've kind of covered it in that it's it's shitty it's not something I wouldn't be surprised that if any government in Canada did it. I mean, look to the Alberta government and similar to worse things are happening there. Um, but well, I think the conservatives don't it's to go back to the like, pandemic thing one more time. I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. That's a lie. I'm going to interrupt you all the time. <laughs> I should be hosting this podcast. Um, the conservatives, they don't want to be they don't want to be in power during a pandemic. It's bad for their look. Because they would have to bring Serb in, they'd have to spend all this money, and then it makes yeah. them even harder to run. They usually run hypocritically on their small government promise federally, yeah. But they they don't want to manage during a during a pandemic. It's very yeah. expensive. You have to do a lot of federal government stuff. They don't want to do that. Yeah, you have to blow up the deficit and or just let people starve in the streets. <laughs> yeah, and they, they won't do that because they, they can't get elected. They are the perfect opposition that they can just cherry pick and say that these guys are these guys are dicks. Please don't give us any responsibility. Yeah, look what they did to the debt. They totally screwed this up. Um, well, okay, well then let's talk about the, the election of the new conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole. Uh, he beat Peter McKay and um, I'm blanking on the other woman's Leslin name lewis leslin lewis thank you um in a the lot news of people, recently right I, I i have her article about a socialist revolution happening in canada saved <laughs> i have bold, not read it yet there's some bold claims in that one. There is a, it is bold and <laughs> makes me a bit sad for this was supposed to be kind of a rising star in the future of the conservative party and you know for those who maybe wouldn't know at home she recently wrote an op-ed, I think, in the National Post, basically yeah. claiming that Justin Trudeau is currently essentially enacting a socialist coup in Canada based on <laughs> things like COVID restrictions put in place by conservative provincial governments, uh, which doesn't really follow, but I don't think that's um, been also, a great concern for her. How does the ruling government perform a coup? That doesn't make any yeah. sense. And they cooing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like we we 
we got in on the inside. We put a man in power, and that's how we knew we could be in power. It's not a military coup. It's a prime ministerial coup where Mm -hmm. the prime minister takes over the powers of government. Well, we all know how much Justin Trudeau likes to dress up so he could just be the new guy, you know? (laughs) Hey, Justin, is that you in a costume? No, no, it was a coup. No. I'm a socialist now. <laughs> um, okay, that's great. I, I haven't read the article, so please don't give me too many spoilers. But she was, yeah, considered uh, a strong candidate in this. It's unfortunate that she's gone kind of the the crazy route. It does show you that some of the stuff that happens in the U.S. is creeping into politics around the world. Canada's no exception. With that, let's get to the leader, the current guy. Aaron O'Toole, he's the one that won. Frankly, I don't know much about him. I don't care for some of his um, make Canada great style rhetoric. Um, it's not, I'm not a fan of that message, the take Canada back, that kind of stuff. Uh, I do think he's already better than Andrew Shear. I think he's got more credentials, seems more like a more capable leader. Uh, what have you guys seen of him so far? I think he's going to be a much more challenging opponent for for Justin Trudeau. But let's go with um, Scott, your reaction to him as the leader, and then maybe what you thought of his reaction. Well, no, we, we'll save that because um, we haven't touched on the throne speech yet. What are you just quick thoughts on Aaron O'Toole? Um, I think you're right, Aaron. Aaron O'Toole is a stronger leader than Andrew Scheer, which might be damning with faint praise because it's a low bar for sure. Um, (laughs) I do think a lot of the messaging still doesn't make any sense to me in that it seems they are really trying, still trying to message to like oil and gas workers in big trucks in Alberta with fuck Trudeau stickers on them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those people are already voting for you. Yeah, And a lot of their messaging about, you know, still we are very anti-carbon tax, that sort of thing is still seems to be preaching to the choir. Um, so it it's a much, Aaron O'Toole seems to be a little more slick presentation to me, but I'm not sure the ideas or their kind of pitch to voters has changed much, which is surprising to me. I'm would think as a party, they would want to kind of tack a little more to the center, especially with the liberals going, you know, further left. So I honestly don't think it changes that much for the conservatives until they sort of change their overall strategy and messaging. Um, it's just going to be in a maybe somewhat more slick, but more bald package. <laughs> he is bald. Yes, he is bald. <laughs> uh... He is also younger than uh, Justin Trudeau. Which, if you see a picture of them side by side, what? yeah, real There's deal. No way. There is whoa, no whoa, way. Whoa. We need record scratch effects going on right here. What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Aaron O'Toole is 47. Aaron O'Toole is 47. I believe Trudeau is 48. Holy shit. He's right. It's close, <laughs> but he's right. Well, I, would have, I would have pegged O'Toole at 56. I would have put him 15 years older than uh, Trudeau, but uh, yeah. wow. Aaron O'Toole looks like the Canadian Bill Dotrieve <laughs> from King of the Hill fame. <laughs> uh, wow, that's shocking. I don't know what that if that says something more about O'Toole or that damn Trudeau and his hair. It's oh. really aged phenomenally. 
the way the way Canadian voters treat conservative scandals in this country, it's like if people find out that Aaron O'Toole is younger than Justin Trudeau, this will be a scandal. It'll be yeah. like, how dare you not come out with how young you are? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Coleman, uh, what do you think of O'Toole? I mean, I agree with a lot of what Scott said. Until the platform changes, I don't think they're. I don't. I don't see why they're not focusing on the votes in Ontario and Quebec that are so important for uh, re-election. But let's give them some time, I guess. What did you know? What do you make of O'Toole? Um, like everyone, I think going into the leadership race, it was just assumed that uh, Peter McKay was going to win. I think the Conservative Party assumed that Peter McKay was going to win. <laughs> and like every, I think we shouldn't be surprised because looking back, because every conservative leadership race seems to spit out like the third choice candidate. It's just kind of mm-hmm. what they do, the second or third choice. It's the um, ranked balloting system. It's I've, I've listened yeah. to many uh, uh, podcasts, political podcasts, talking about how this is basically what happened. This is how Shear won, too. Yeah, it's exactly how Shear won. And like I say, like O'Toole seems at least somewhat con- like Andrew Shear was like the the gluten free <laughs> Wonder Bread loaf of a leader. I think I've said that before, but it's like the perfect way to describe him. There's just yeah. nothing there, and yeah. like literally nothing. Because like at least Trudeau is charismatic. There's like not an ounce of morality in his body, but at least he's charismatic. Yeah, like Andrew Shear is just like devoid of personality. Like, yeah, original. He's, like, song. Also, he's also doughy. <laughs> So I would say the bread thing really works. Oh, he's he's doughy, but he's not fat. It's a weird thing. Yeah, like, he's not a fat man. No, but, but he looks squishy. Funny, well, like when he tries to run on that. Cons- it was like it was always the thing that Stephen Harper struggled with when he like whenever Stephen Harper tried to play a cowboy. <laughs> yeah, and you put him in the and you put him in the western clothes at Stampede and stuff like that, and you're like, man, it's just not working. It's not yeah. working at all. Too they did it with work. Andrew Shear. Where like Aaron O'Toole at least looks he looks like a the ideal conservative man, evidently a much younger man than we anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I'm kinda I'm honestly rattled by that hearing that he's forty seven years old. <laughs> because yeah. I think I'm looking into the future as like I think I might look like that at forty seven years old at the this this rate I'm carrying on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, You'd have to accomplish a much, much, a lot more. <laughs> There's still let's hope for not, me. Let's not take away Mr. O'Toole's accomplishments, which I think is part of, you know, one of the reasons that he was a, a strong candidate. He has military background, then went to law school, worked in corporate law for a while. So, I mean, he's compared to Andrew Shears, maybe being an insurance broker, maybe. Not I think he I think he poured the coffee and answered the phones at the insurance uh, brokerage. So right, um, right. But Let's... that will definitely I think play better with with conservatives and probably people in the center. The fact that O'Toole does have experience, you know, whether or not career politicians should be a pejorative, it certainly is for a lot of people. And O'Toole having you know a corporate background, I think, will sell him better than Sheer. Who, um, well, especially to fiscal conservative types in Toronto yeah. area. Well, I think the big thing with O'Toole right now is I've seen just his like recent speeches that he's like pushing hard on the fact that he doesn't feel entitled to lead like Trudeau does, which goes back to when they try to run against Harper against Trudeau, but how Trudeau feels entitled to be prime minister because he's like the son of a former prime minister, and that didn't work then, and it's not going to work now. No. Like he he doesn't feel entitled to be prime minister. He is prime minister. Don't run on that. 
run on just keep hammering him on these like many scandals that's your only chance well many scandals and and i think that they have to propose a viable well we talked about this after the election a viable climate change plan something that voters can understand and get behind and say yes this is going to work but then in doing so they also they're tasked with because they've done this hard push for uh no carbon tax and you know the only party that's going to stand up for the energy workers in the West, they're kind of boxing themselves into a position. I feel like it's similar to Jason Kenney in Alberta that ran on the platform of, I will bring jobs back with this giant tax cut for corporations and that will fix it. That's going to do it. And it didn't, hasn't. Well, you, and you now can't. there's nowhere else to go. So I feel like the federal conservatives, unless they change their platform, they're you know, they're going to be in the same spot. Well, federally, you can't run a conservative candidate for prime minister on like catering to Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba voters at all. Maybe, I guess Manitoba kind of goes NDP sometimes, but like Alberta and Saskatchewan, those votes aren't going anywhere. So don't spend a second of your time talking about what you're going to do for Alberta. Because first of all, you don't have to do anything for us. We'll vote for you anyway. (laughs) Stephen Harper pointed that out. And there's so limited like, things that the federal government could do. Well, I mean, we could point to all the things that the liberal government has done for Alberta, and no, it's still it's not like, enough. <laughs> well, it's the whole thing with Alberta is like, do more for us, and then they do something for us. It's like, respect our power as a province. Don't trample <laughs> on us. We're like, a, you know that, that shitty cat that your friend has, and you go to pet the cat, and the cat like gets close to you, and then you go to touch it, and then it bites your hand? It's like, I wanted you to touch me with your eyes. That's what Alberta wants. We want the federal government to help us, but don't you dare. Don't you dare fucking help us. Yeah. Help us, but don't make it so obvious that you're helping us. Yeah. We don't need any help except for like once every four years when we crater, absolutely crater and have like no (laughs) jobs at all in the province. Uh, Okay, well, then let's move to the throne speech, because this kind of ties into this, because this was a bit of the the bizarre, not bizarre, but um, reaction from the federal conservative party was the claims of the speech didn't do enough for energy sector. And it was, you know, they still haven't solved this divisive, you know, national unity problem when it appears to me that they're the only ones (laughs) driving the wedge in in the unity problem. Well, and Quebec. Quebec's always there to hammer a couple nails into that coffin. But um, the throne speech was, you know, so Justin Trudeau prorogued Parliament, which may or may not be another controversial move for some people, um, and started the new parliamentary session a couple weeks ago with a throne speech laying out the government's priorities. It was kind of being telegraphed, it seemed to me. You guys are over there on the ground, so you could maybe give me more of a sense of it. But it, in what I was reading, it was kind of getting telegraphed that it was going to be something huge and bold, like UBI or something like this, some big problems or some big uh, proposals. In the end, it wasn't that you know, wasn't that bold. And it kind of trotted out a number of things that uh, – the things that got a lot of play in the media anyway were the things that um, the Liberal Party has been – saying for years and never really got done a pharmaceutical program, a national pharmaceutical program and national childcare program were the big ones that stuck out. A lot of talk about a green recovery and they just announced this week, I think $10 billion in infrastructure going to green projects. Um, Stoli, Scott, what were you, what did you think of the throne speech? Were you surprised? What did you like? Uh, and then conservative reaction to it. What do you think? Did they 
do enough? I think I was wondering if they were kind of throwing out some trial balloons because you're right. There was a lot of talk that this was going to have big transformational stuff. UBI was often mentioned. Uh, and I was super curious to see if that was something they were actually going to come out with. And I don't know if it they were just kind of leaking this stuff to the media to try and gauge reaction and float whether you know that would fly with the public. Um, overall... I would say I liked, as the uh, parent of two small children, I certainly like the talk of a national childcare program, but I feel like we've been talking about that probably since I was a kid. So um, it's easy to throw a few lines in the speech. And same with the pharmacare, that until we actually you know, see a real plan and dollars committed, um, it just seems a bit like more fluff to me at this point. Um, it also seems to me there's such a disconnect between what the federal government is doing with respect to Alberta specifically and the messaging from Alberta conservatives around it. Because if you ask a lot of conservatives in Alberta, uh, and I think provincially and federally the parties really try and help to contribute to this attitude, is that Justin Trudeau is just throwing up roadblocks left, right, and center, and doing everything he can to destroy the energy industry. Um, and then you point things out like the pipeline was in trouble, so they bought the pipeline and are now, you know, it is under construction in part because the federal government bought it. They gave billions of dollars to clean up the orphan wells that Alberta decided not to implement the regulatory sort of framework that would have had them clean, you know, the companies clean them up back in the day. It seems like the government has done a lot. Um, there wasn't much, I think it makes sense from the government's perspective to not have a lot of mention of the oil and gas sector in the throne speech, because while you are doing these things, I'm not sure how popular that's going to be in Ontario and Quebec to really be stressing how much you're doing for Alberta, because I certainly think there's a somewhat deserved sense of schadenfreude from the uh, rest of Canada as far as mm -hmm. Alberta's financial troubles. Um, when you've been the richest guy in town forever and all of a sudden you're having a little trouble making the rent. And kind of a dick about tough, it too. Yeah, and kind of a dick about it the whole time. <laughs> it is tough to get sympathy. And so I can see how they don't really scream from the heavens, this is what we're doing to save poor Alberta who was not poor you know two weeks ago and, and now, still has like higher income and lower taxes than any other province yeah it's also amazing that if you listen to kenny and certain people like this is just a a hellscape of economic ruin but we still have the highest incomes in canada you know it's really it's it's not that bad there is bread on the shelves uh i can you know everywhere i look people are still driving around um so alberta economy at least from my little bubble is not nearly as bad as some make it out to be the unemployment and the continuing unemployment will is a big issue i mean it's easy to say for you know i mean a lot of people you know the coronavirus thing a lot of people are unemployed right now because of that but there's going to be a lot of unemployment pains due to the decline of the oil and gas sector it is weird that they just continue to not recognize the elephant in the room and refuse to make a, 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 a any kind of effort to 
deal with that problem uh, in a meaningful way other than blame federal government for this. Um, that it's mind boggling. Um, the throne speech did mention uh, oil and gas and that en- energy is a, is a important sector moving forward. So I know that the president of the Canadian association of petroleum producers did highlight that as a, one of the three things that they wanted to see in the speech, they were not so impressed with some of the other aspects of it, but they did, uh, they were mentioned. So it's not, um, yeah, it's not, it's like not they, like they, they didn't, you know, it's not yeah. like they were totally ignored. I think if you looked at some of the headlines or some of the, lines from the conservative party speeches you would think that they basically you know either didn't mention them at all or specifically mentioned that you're on your own which was definitely not the case um coleman what do you any thoughts on anything that we've just touched on throne speech i think well talking about alberta's response it's like they didn't call out the it's just that's what jason kenny does is he just throws stuff back on the federal government all the time because he's hurting right now in his polling numbers and that's just all he knows how to do um touching on ubi specifically i would imagine it was considered i think they're saving that for an election run because mm. they've kind of proven that they could do it i'm pretty sure they've like ran the models and it's it can work and like well, why it's, waste- it's been added to their the top prior one of the top priorities of the caucus meeting upcoming caucus meeting retreat or yeah. something like this so it's on the platform to be debated just just knowing the way that the liberal government operates why waste that on a throne speech because first of all they got to get through the throne speech they got to get through a budget that they're coming up soon mm-hmm. and then eventually they're going to get voted down and they're going to have to do an election and why politically why blow or like uh, blow your wad as we <laughs> talked about in the group chat why blow your wad on a throne speech when you can save ubi for uh for a, uh, a an election campaign unless you wanted to blow your wad on the throne speech so that you could last longer during the campaign that's what i did before this when we <laughs> talked about this is i i uh i i yelled my loud hot takes off my patio so i could have a, a nice long sustained talk during this podcast i also masturbated right before but that's away from the point um (laughs) but i think ubi is really interesting because like the ndp and the green party can say in an election campaign it's like we're going to bring ubi in and it doesn't mean anything because they're not going to get elected Mm -hmm. the liberals can say we're going to bring ubi in and it means something because they might do it they could get elected yeah and i think ubi is a little different than then uh like their electoral reform promise it's kind of wishy-washy it's like that's a big one that's like when they're going to talk about legalizing marijuana going into the the first trudeau election i was going to say it was like the weed play yeah it's like that's something you can't break and i think they've proven that the federal government can do it and there's a lot of arguments in favor of the program and there's no way the conservatives can counter it at all Mm-hmm. I don't know what the I don't know what a like an Aaron O'Toole argument is against it. So it's like don't bring it up. You can get the NDP support in this throne speech easily enough because, like I said before, I think the NDP played this well. They pushed the Liberals to like uh, like uh, make Serb benefits to extend Serb benefits past this month, which I think the Liberals were going to do anyway. But they just wanted to give the the NDP something to negotiate so they could support because the NDP has like the NDP will never Gave have more power. Yeah. Well, and they never like they can't get a result in an election that gives them more power than they do now. 
Well, they might have. No, well, like no, because they're they're pulling at like seventeen percent right now. No, I know. I'm it's saying very but, I mean, consistent. They did it once. They did it once, but they they took the the liberals like crumbling. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. liberals had to go to the liberals had to go to third party status, and the NDP were the were the opposition with a conservative majority. I don't think there's any math out there that gets the conservatives a minority government and like the NDP any sort of like power over them. Mm-hmm. This is about as good as the NDP can hope for federally. Why would they want an election right now? Like we can talk about like ethic or like morally they they should really push for an election right now because the liberals have fucked up, which is true. But like <laughs> why would you why would you push for an election right now if you're Jagmeet Singh? Yeah, well, if you're ultimately kind of playing kingmaker in a minority parliament, then of course that I can see your point. That might be about as good as they can hope for in the near term. So if this is as much power as you're going to get, then why push for an election and instead try and use your power that you know Yeah, what well, I I'm things pretty... like UBI or extending SERB benefits or whatever it is. Well I'm pretty sure like I, I just have this feeling that the, the liberals are holding this UBI thing in their back pocket because it's going to be like socialized medicine in Canada. As like far as going forward, it's going to be like a, mm-hmm. a a like huge platform of like their party going forward. Why waste it on a throne speech when you got a bunch of these other things to go through when you can pull it out in an election? And if you're the NDP, why oppose why oppose this throne speech? You have nothing to gain from it. And from the conservatives, it's like, why make that big of a deal about it you just need to get through this you don't want to put Aaron O'Toole into an election campaign right now because he's just been leader he's been leader for like he just put out his throne speech response like the other day because he had COVID and was gone for two weeks <laughs> yeah so like this guy it's like he's just starting this job and like it would be horrible to throw him directly into an election campaign we just need to like like a year or so revisit this again and then kind of gets to politics as usual. Because having an election right now is not really good for any party, not even the liberals, because like who knows what happens. No, and I think the, it's possible that the, the voters could punish the party that triggered the election by being like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Why are you making us go to the polls? You know, yeah. And we'll see what happens in British Columbia because the British Columbia NDP are doing just that. Um, but that's another topic. Um, I'm interested with the NDP because it doesn't, to me, Jagmeet Singh is a non-factor as, as when it comes to a leader, like you don't, I don't, I don't see anything from him, and I don't know, maybe it's media bias or whatever, but there just doesn't seem to be anything strong coming out of the NDP. And well, his thing, he surprised me because I thought he campaigned very well in the last election and hmm. I thought it was going to pay off and it really didn't. So I don't know if that's an NDP thing or a Jagmeet thing, or maybe I was just paying too close attention to the election and like saw too much of his stuff. But I agree with you. It's like he should have moved the needle more than, more than he did. He really well, I think I think his campaigning was quite effective because if you look at the prognostications from early on in the election cycle, it seemed like the NDP were going to get completely wiped out. And then so the fact that they managed to simply not get completely wiped out. I but think, was that also a blackface bump? It could also the classic BB blackface bump that, uh, you know, (laughs) obviously that's, you know, maybe Singh talked to Trudeau 15 years ago, got him to take those yearbook photos and is all cleverly ployed to, you know, but you're right. I think that's a bit of luck, but also I think he was an effective campaigner, but that basically just saved them from ruin. It wasn't going to, they were Mm -hmm. not in a position where they were going to get propelled 
into you know opposition status or even being a serious player yeah in parliament well and, and the ndps they're very much in mercy of the quebec vote which is very random and because quebec when they have a protest Pickle. vote yeah their protest vote goes to the block most of the time and sometimes it goes to the ndp like that one election that they got it was kind of like in Alberta when the NDP took over, no one saw it coming. Mm-hmm. It's like they were doing the same thing in Quebec when they were like electing people that didn't think they were going to win elections. And all of a sudden, boom, you're an MP now. Yeah. Um, it's it, you, Quebec just weird that way. Like, I don't even really know how they vote. Quebec's like this, like walled off part of Canada where like what they're going to do on election day, like English speaking Canada, we don't really know. There's people that pay attention to it, but like, all of a sudden, it's like the block's back. We thought they were dead. Never count out the block. <laughs> yeah. Never count. Like, they reanimated the block. Yeah. <laughs> the, block's, the block's a thing again. Yeah. And I we guess gonna, we're, we're, we're not used to it out West because I think out West, things are so politically static for so long that it just seems insane to have this part of the country where people just vote for different people when they're not happy with the people they voted for last time. Whereas here, our strategy seems to be to bitch constantly about how they're, you know, we didn't get the results we wanted, try and gloss over the fact that it was the people we voted for that didn't deliver those results. <laughs> and then we'll just vote for them again and hope that uh, maybe next time they'll really listen to us. So yeah. it, it seems baffling to us that Quebecers would just vote for different people when they don't get what they want. Well, it's Alberta. We, Alberta specifically, we had that one protest vote where we voted the NDP in with a massive majority government, and then we immediately yelled at them for not being experienced enough in governing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, look at these guys. They don't know what they're doing. It's, it's like, like yeah, somebody put- elected them for the first time in 40 years. <laughs> yeah, it's like you replaced that party that was an entrenched bureaucracy for 40 straight years. It's like, you don't even know what you're doing. Not one of you has any experience in the provincial government. It's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a tough one. You know what I learned about Quebec uh, not too long ago from an Italian fella here in Europe that lived in uh, Quebec for a long time? A lot of them don't celebrate Canada Day. Yeah, because they feel very... I could see that. I mean, I wasn't surprised, but I kind of was like, really? And he was like, yeah, it's usually because it's like on the 1st of July. So it's usually, you know, there's the... It's the end of a month, beginning of a new month when people are shifting apartments. You know, you got to be out. So he's like, most people just call it moving day. And they <laughs> they get an extra day to like try and move their shit, you know, out, out of the oh, apartment. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't accept that because I, I celebrate Canada Day very vigorously. Um, I always get drunk at a baseball game. It's fantastic. I once skipped oh, a wedding. celebrate Canada a- Day very vigorously by watching America's game. <laughs> exactly exactly drink night we me and my friends get together we we drink nine beers and nine innings at a baseball game it's called a complete game it's catching on look it up um but i once turned down uh, an invitation to a wedding because it was going to be on july 1st i was like i cannot attend this i will not and if someone asked me to help them move on july 1st i'd be like absolutely not well apparently there's a holiday two or three weeks later, or maybe it's before, I can't remember, um, a French holiday that is in Saint-Jean-Baptiste, I think. Saint-Jean-Baptiste, yeah, yeah, that's the one. They also don't, it's not, I don't believe Victoria Day, the May long weekend, is an official holiday in Quebec, um, which makes more sense to me that a big celebration of the Queen is maybe not going to be 
you know, super popular amongst our French speaking cousins there. Yeah. But I remember I was cranky because I was one year I was in Quebec for Victoria Day, didn't get the day off, and then was back in Alberta for Saint Jean Baptiste, which is I think their replacement holiday. Yeah. So I got screwed out of a holiday. You owe me one, Justin Trudeau. Make it up to me. Um <laughs> Classic Albertan. But I didn't realize that Canada <laughs> He's Day not wasn't gonna really... do that. <laughs> well, does Quebec do they celebrate a holiday at that time that we made incredible strides to accommodate them in our largely English speaking country, and then still somehow played the victim afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> I love Quebec because Quebec is so much better at being Alberta than Alberta is. I, I, it's so much better. We could do a whole show on this that it's like. Alberta and Quebec, it's like a, you know, a, a rom-com, the will they, won't they. It's like, you guys should just be together. You, yeah. You're yeah. similar in so many ways, and yet you hate mm. each other. <laughs> the, and, then, and it's like, they're like, okay, so like I'm a, I'm a football fan, and it's like, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, and we hate the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers don't give a shit about the Vikings. They're like, whatever. They have other rivals in other divisions because they make the playoffs and they go deep. We hate them. They don't even think about us. And then that's Quebec is the Packers and Alberta is the Vikings. Like, yeah. we hate Quebec. They don't spare a second's thought about us. Yeah. We, they don't, like, we don't even impact them on any level. Yeah. They, they've, got, they've got everything so streamlined and how they, they affect things federally. They don't care about us. Yeah, and it just enrages us ever more. Um, okay, we've we've gone off the rails here now in in our <laughs> talking about Quebec, but let's just be clear: we all love Quebec. They're great. Don't want you to leave. Yeah, would country wouldn't be the same without you. Um, we have to. We have to now move to the news, the big news: municipal elections in Alberta coming up next year. No, mm-hmm. of course not. Uh, how are you guys feeling with things going with things going on in the US? It's dominating gonna... news everywhere. The border is still closed, which is good. I think if there's one thing that can unite Canadians right now, it's keep that motherfucker closed. <laughs> uh I don't know yeah. which one of you wants to start. I'm just gonna do a I'm gonna do a I'm just gonna do a health check on Trump to see if he's still alive right okay, now. Well, give me a second. Well well Coleman checks the Twitter. Scott, I don't know where you want to. I don't. Okay, he's alive. We're he's, getting the th- he's still alive. He's allegedly because how how much can we really trust the press coverage? Uh, the press releases coming out of this White House. Scott, I'll let you start. I don't know where you start. The election, uh, Trump's now sickness. What what do we do? What's going on here? Yeah, I'll maybe let's start. What I was thinking before we found out about all the uh, Trump COVID news. It seems to me you look at so much of what is happening in the United States right now, and if it was happening in an Eastern European country, we would absolutely just say, you know, the political science student in me would say, oh, yeah, there's a uh, democratic country that looks to be backsliding into authoritarianism. Yeah. That all of the, there is just one thing after the other, the um, the convention speech from the White House where it's all the official kind of imagery of government is now being used as part of this reelection campaign. It's almost this, I am the state thing out of Trump Mm -hmm. that celebrating this whole celebration of the cult of personality and they're putting his name in fireworks. And uh, this is all the sort of stuff I would expect from like Viktor Orban in Hungary. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 
all of the actions they've taken to essentially cheat in the election, um, which I think has been a trend that's been ongoing for quite some time. I think the Republican Party has wisely realized they are the minority party in terms of what people like. So rather than sort of shifting their views um, to kind of meet the electorate, they're just trying to shift the electorate to meet them. So disenfranchising people. I mean, they're messing up the mail system so, to make it so that Democrats are less likely to vote. The gerrymandering um, thing of, has been going on yeah, for years. Yeah, gerrymandering is Purging insane. voter rolls. Yeah. Um, and I look at all that stuff and I think if this was, if you just switch the headlines to say Poland, people would say, oh yeah, there's definitely kind of backsliding. And I think part of the problem is there is definitely this that could never happen here attitude. Um, so people sort of have this impression like, yeah, if it was happening in Poland, it would look like backsliding. But we are America. We are a shining city on a hill and our democracy is just a granted and it's given. Our institutions I, are strong, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, our institutions are strong and it has lasted forever. We are God's chosen nation and we will go on forever no matter what. Um and it seems that that sort of thinking has led people to just overlook how glaringly corrupt so much of what is going on with this election is. And I've like certainly read in places and, and I've said to people and people kind of have given me a look like you're a bit crazy. But I think it's not crazy to suggest this could legitimately be the last truly free and fair election in the United States. Like, I don't think it's probably not going to go that way. And Trump is probably not going to win, especially with the news from the last few days. But uh, he's probably not going to breathe unassisted again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so going to age um, very badly. Yeah, I, I am. I am legitimately very worried for our American neighbors and their democracy and their system of government, because it seems Trump has been allowed to run roughshod over so many norms and institutions, especially well, and coming the around, around the election. Look yeah, what they've like done the, with the, the Justice, Justice Department. Department's doing. Um, it's all banana republic stuff that if Trump wins another term, then I think he's like, the gloves are off. Like, if you thought the gloves were off before, there is... Yeah, nothing that he wouldn't do, and, and it's a validation it of what... nothing the Republican Party would condemn him for. Like it is, you're starting to think he wasn't kidding. If he shot someone on Fifth Ave, they would say, "Well, you know, you know, he is the president. Is, we can't indict the a president. president." Yeah, and you know, can we can we say the guy didn't? What was the guy wearing when he got shot? Like you know, <laughs> he was asking for media, it. <laughs> yeah, media is always rushing to blame Trump and doesn't even ask the hard questions so i don't know i think it's a really scary time for american democracy um on the flip side it certainly looks like he's going to lose and i have also said this to people and people also give me a look like you really think he's going to lose like what about last time polls are worthless nothing means anything trump is an unstoppable force and i think the polls really were, it was more of an issue of misinterpretation than them being wildly off last time. I think last time people just had this idea in their head that there's just absolutely no way Donald Trump could become president. So even as election day approached and the polls were looking kind of tight, everyone just interpreted in the most 
pro-Hillary way because it was just understood that there's no way this guy could be elected. Um, whereas now it seems to have gone the other way um, that people are just like, don't after what happened chances. Last, yeah, don't, there's no way he can lose or, you know, he's probably going to win. And it's like, but it says like Joe Biden's up nine points nationally and in all the swing states. And we're like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. He's definitely going, you know, Trump's definitely going to win. So. Well, I think people underestimate how hated Hillary Clinton was. And part of that was Trump and his, you know, messaging and stuff. But like she just people did not like her, you know, for whatever reason, justified or not. There was a lot of anti I don't think people can muster as much dislike for Joe Biden. But Anyway, Coleman, I'll let you jump in, you know, before we touch on his sickness and what that means for this whole thing. What were you thinking before that news? Are you as alarmed, we'll say, at uh, what's going on in the U.S.? Um, I'm not as alarmed because, like, if you look back to the way the U.S. has operated in other countries, specifically while the Republican Party was in power, like, they do this stuff to other countries' elections all the time. It's not really a surprise that they would do it to themselves. <laughs> like it's not a surprise. Like, I say that like dead serious. Like they, the shit that they pull in other countries, it's like why would you think it's such a moral jump to do that to your own country? It but doesn't it really bad. surprise me if you're saying, "Well, elections in Iraq are like this all the time, so what's the big deal?" It's like, well, that seems bad. That seems like well, a, elections uh, in America have been like that for a while. Yeah. You remember how George Bush got elected the first time? And the reason why the Republicans were able to do that because it was like razor close. Where this election, it isn't going to be close at this point. Because if you look at like 538 is great because they have like this election model that kind of gave Trump a very good chance in the last election because people in the states look at national polling and national polling is useless in their system. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything. It's national polling in our system is like useless as well because it gives the conservatives a huge bump in uh, the western provinces because they run up the score in Alberta. But it doesn't mean anything. You only get one. If you win one seat in Alberta by 80% of the popular vote, it's still one seat. It doesn't make a difference. If you win Montana by 80%, it's only one or like how many electoral votes. And like California is the same way. Yeah. So, But if you look at the actual swing states themselves, it's like Trump has to make up significant ground in a lot of swing states. And he's in the hospital right now. And they, they can only steal an election if it's close. And it doesn't look close at all. Well, Because like five, 538 has like Trump and has Biden at like an 80% chance of winning the election. But that model has it built in like the time left that Trump has time to turn things around. But even like Nate Silver's the editor. I follow 538 a lot. I think they do really good work. They are great. Yeah. Um, like he said, like if the election was held today... Or like it was like today was a few days ago. It was before the I think it was before the the debate actually, which didn't help Trump at all. But um, he had a nine percent chance of winning under their model if the election was like held that day, which is like like he's not coming back from that, and it was not going to be close enough that they can steal this one. And the no. other thing in the states is. If they do steal this election, there's a lot of people that don't have jobs and a lot of people that are very mad right now. And they're throwing around the term general strike right now a lot, which means like the economy and we've seen how the American economy reacts to being shut down even slightly. The, the heaven and earth that they'll move to get that going again. And if Donald Trump 
the the herpes strain of presidents tries to shut down or steal the presidency and results in the economy being <laughs> shut down do you think like the, CEOs the herpes of these flare multi, up. yeah do you think the ceos of these multi-billion dollar companies are going to tolerate having having this this easily transferable crabs of a president affect their balance sheets no way well no way this brings up a couple of interesting well interesting points we'll say um what 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 would it take for him to quote steal the election right like because he's already forecasting to a, a, a segment of the population which is his base and some of which is armed and acknowledging the fact that you know they're ready to do violence um, and saying that if we lose, it's because it's rigged. Like he's been messaging this for a long time now. And so the scenario doesn't even necessarily have to be that we got more votes and we stole it because we manipulated the system in order to get more votes. The story is just, it gets to, you know, midnight, they're still counting votes. Some, some places are still close. And he just says, well, you know what, we have our internal numbers and they're showing that we won and like I've said all along, it's it could only be lost if it was rigged. And so we're claiming victory. And he claims victory early and puts chaos into the system. And you have motivated people that support him in the streets. Like, like that could breed such chaos. I mean, I don't know what the end game is there. Um, he was openly talking about, uh, we need to get a Supreme Court judge in there that's favorable to me so that if this goes to the courts, they'll they'll back me. You know, he, he yeah, said that in only, an interview. But it can only go to the courts if it's close. Right. But look at what they've done with it. Like not I'm just saying I wouldn't put it past anything to happen with this because of what he's done with the Justice Department, William Barr. And I mean, again, I you're right we're we're right in saying that there's no logical way that they could do any of this but if he claims victory early and is stubborn and steadfast in that and cries foul and all of that stuff and has people in the streets backing him i mean i don't know what that means people in the streets backing him because it, it, it would be a minority of people it wouldn't be any probably anywhere close to the protests that we saw for uh, racial injustice and all that stuff but is it enough to sow enough chaos that I don't know. Then what's the next step? Because I think that's about as far as he thinks about these things or his party is thinking about these things. Is Well, if we I can get to there, too, what next? I think you're giving him too much credit as like as far as he thinks ahead. He doesn't think ahead at all. Like this no, is all the Republican Party himself. Think ahead. But someone like Bill Barr, definitely. Like Bill Barr is smart, is just as evil, but much, He's, much smarter than Donald Trump. He's smart, uh, but think, if you're going to go all in on a dictator, like you're going to say, if you're going to like in some sort of model, you're going to bring a dictator in in the U.S. Are you going to go all in on this half-eaten Big Mac on the side of the goddamn road president that Donald Trump is? Yes. Like there's no, no. Yeah, I he's think old. If, if he's you're, weak. Um, you're going if, on a. If like you're Bill Barr, you go to, you go to war with the wannabe dictator you got, not the not the wannabe dictator you want. No, it's the Republican Trump. Party. The system's slanted in their favor. They can wait a couple elections and try this again. This problem isn't going away. But Donald Trump is not the guy you go all in I on. Think I think he wanted, because of the, because of his bluster and because of he's willing to do it. He's willing to buck all those norms, and he feels no shame. Stoli, what do you? The, uh, let's get you in here. I think. So the, the concern is that's kind of been widely reported, but 
because uh, you say the only way he can steal it is if it's close. But what if it looks close on election night? Because you see the splits of who's requesting mail-in votes, and it's three to one, four to one Democrats over Republicans. It seems, by all accounts, far more Republicans proportionally will be voting in person on election day, and far more Democrats are going to be voting mail-in. There are also many states with Republican legislatures are fighting against any measures to try and count the mail-in votes earlier. There are certain states that were pushing to have uh, the processing part done before election night. So when they do the signature verifications and all that stuff, so then all you have to do is open the, you know, count the ballots. They're fighting against all that because they want to drag it out as long as right. possible, right. knowing that the mail-in vote is going to be proportionally Democratic, I think in the hopes of saying, of being able to make the case that Trump is leading in the votes that have been counted on election night, even if you can reasonably foresee that he will get crushed in the mail-in vote and overall he's not going to win. But if you can use that time to try and go to the courts and say, you know, there's rampant fraud and all the ballots for me are in a river somewhere, but I can't tell you which river or where it is, but um, all sorts of shenan- you know, legal shenanigans that they will, I think, absolutely will try and pull to say these votes are invalid. Yeah. You know, there's hanging chads. The postmarks aren't right. They'll say virtually anything. Um, and it's it's still, I think it's still a bit far-fetched. They would have to convince probably a lot of judges to throw out a lot of votes because it certainly does look like Trump is going to lose by a lot of votes. It will also probably be harder for him to orchestrate these kinds of things if he's on a ventilator and can't talk. But um, but we've also just said that like but, he's not the guy orchestrating these things. Yeah, it's so true. they could but weaken the guy, Bernie's he, him. But he's the yeah they could he's the face of the operation though, and he already looks like he's a dead body that's being puppeted just because <laughs> the way he looks. He oh, also, po- I think the writing is on the wall for Trump that there's he is in so much legal jeopardy um, if he yeah. loses the protection of being president. He's a cornered. That, he's a cornered animal. Yeah, cornered rat. Yeah, absolutely. That I think from his perspective, there is absolutely nothing he wouldn't do as an absolute sociopathic narcissist in order to try and hold on to power to avoid both the like personal shame and embarrassment of having lost, especially lost to Joe Biden, the guy he spent, you know, a year and a half saying is this senile shell of a man. Uh, I think it would kill his ego and it's going to kill his freedom when the tax fraud stuff seems pretty cut and dry. There is, Lord knows how many other skeletons are in the closet, how much stuff is going to come out from his time in the administration. Um, they might, I think they're going to need a truth and reconciliation commission to be perfectly honest when <laughs> all of this is done, how all of the corruption and how much money got stolen and, and all this sort of stuff. But I think he's got nothing to lose. That, by going uh, all in. Yeah. He's got, yeah. By going all in. Cause he's got everything to lose if he doesn't win this election. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I agree. What do we think though? Like, and this was another thing that comes up and people will say, oh, that's alarmist. That could never happen. This, that. But I have been, you know, I'd listen to people much smarter than I am on podcasts. I'll shout out one, the strategist podcast. Just check that out. Um, and uh, the word civil war gets bandied about, you know, and people still put like, well, OK, maybe it's only 10 percent chance or whatever. But I've never before heard that you know, about a country and a country 
well, a country like the U.S. and a country that is the most armed country uh, out there and that has seen large acts of domestic terrorism, uh, Oklahoma City bombing, you know, things like this. If Trump loses, you could also see that situation or Trump stubbornly tries to hang on to power. You could see that situation. What does that look like? I've gamed some scenarios in my head, you know, trying to be like, well, what happens if he does do that? At what point does the military step in? Step in? I read something. It's kind of old now, but it was updated. It was in uh, the Walrus, Canadian publication, the Walrus, um, talking about this back in 2018. And they updated the article. And I think the polling data at that time, which obviously is bound to have changed, was looking at the military and just the situation. And even their military is divided at this point in time. This was a 2018. I don't see it getting any better, but it was like 40% of the, you know, the regular class, the the infantry class or whatever you want to call it, the non-officer um, group supports the Trump and only 30% of the officer class would support Trump. So it's weird. It's really, really weird to be talking about this kind of stuff. Like you said, Scott, if it was... South America, if it's Eastern Europe, you're like, well, that's kind of the shit that happens there. Do you think there's a chance for violence? And what would that look like? Is Canada ready to take all the refugees <laughs> streaming up to the border, Coleman? It's, um, I think we would. We're a very caring country, first of all. <laughs> we take care of our less fortunate like myself. Um, I think you guys are really downplaying how much money corporations in America make with this machine that they have built right now and why they would let Donald Trump throw a wrench into that operation. Hmm. I think like, just cause like he's a wild card. Well, what power do they have in, to influence the, what power does like the money in America have? Like they're financing Donald Trump's campaign right now. Like that's that's the only thing keeping him afloat is him. He's stealing money from his own campaign to keep his personal finances. <laughs> no, but afloat. in the uh, in what the, happens when that money goes in away? the event that he stubbornly you know decides to just say it's all fake and I'm staying in power, right? That happens. You get violence on the streets. You get maybe it's just, maybe it's not full blown. You know, like conflict like you would see in the middle east or something but you see sporadic acts of violence whether it's shootings bombings whatever shit like this and it starts going haywire what is a what is what is jeff bezos gonna do what is elon musk gonna do what is the Koch brothers gonna do what are they gonna do Pre i mean they could pressure Wait, Trump. About like Talking about if there's violence on American streets, there's already violence on American streets. There's been violence more on American violence. streets. For more violence. Oh no! What if there's more gun violence in America? What are they possibly going to do? It's certainly like, hard to imagine a scenario with a full-blown civil war, which is not to say it can't happen. Just that I can't picture what this would look like, simply because if it's essentially a civil war of pro-Trump versus anti-Trump forces. I've got some strong intuitions as to who has all the guns mm. and uh, it, you know, it's not going to go well for the, you know, Biden loving peaceniks who uh, are in no way prepared to fight a civil war. Not that I don't think it would go that way uh, in terms of organized battles or, you know, street fights for the control of the streets of Portland or something like that. But certainly acts of violence, I could easily see, say, 
if we're in a scenario where it looks like Trump has lost. He's on Twitter six times a day talking about how it's rigged and Fox News is running constant stories of, you know, some tiny voter fraud discovered in Wisconsin and one guy in a basement. And now so maybe the whole election's just rigged. I imagine in that scenario, you I can easily see you've got mass gatherings of anti-Trump people, you know, protesting in the streets to say, we want to make it clear. We want the world to know that we think Biden won. Could you see, you know, the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers or any of these dorky named uh, Boogaloo Boys? militia groups? Yeah, the Boogaloos, <laughs> maybe the Boogaloos. The, you know, could some of those guys say just decide to show up at these rallies to, you know, keep the peace and then shoot people? Uh, yeah. And then shots start getting fired. And what does that do for, you know, what does that do for national unity? What does the country look like after after that sort of thing? I mean, I guess I wasn't obviously alive in 1968, and it's kind of crazy to me when I read about just, say, the sheer number of bombings that were happening in the United States at the time. It was like over one, it was like a bombing somewhere every single day, and somehow they kept it together, and, you know, that was pulled also, through it, and now here they are. Again, the article I was reading in The Walrus, I think it was, I think it was this, or they were talking about this, but they were like, look at, at that time, you know, some of the most radical groups in the country were the Weathermen and Black Panthers. And I think they mentioned a few others. And the maximum number of people that they could uh, sort of estimate that were in those groups was maybe like 10,000, something like that. There's like an estimated 300,000 people that sub are subscribed to, you know, militia groups, right-wing militia groups, Bugaloo boys, Proud Boys, all this stuff kind of combined. And I know these numbers are kind of nebulous because you're trying to track online groups and different groups, and they all have kind of different, you know, ideologies and stuff. It's all kind of they do all kind of lean this one way, but it's much different. It's 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 much bigger. It's a much larger segment of the population. I think you guys are, I don't know. I'm going to bring it uh, this podcast doesn't have a lot of uh, conflicting arguments, but I'm going to bring one here. I think you guys are greatly underestimating the elite of the U.S.'s commitment to keeping the status quo. <laughs> That's true. If Even if, if we're looking at a human life cost of keeping the status quo in the U.S., that number is about at 200,000 right now. <laughs> Probably more. We like have 207,000. Yeah, we have like a human measure of what they're willing to do to keep TGI Fridays open and what like to keep long John Silver's open. But right. So then what is like, there is no, what is their mechanism? I agree with you. I agree with you, Coleman. I agree with you on that. What is their mechanism to get Trump to leave though? They just say, we're not like, they can say we're not supporting you anymore. They can say we're not giving you any money, but he's in the chair. He's got, they have the cons, the const the constitution allows them. Like he loses power after the inauguration date. Like he's not in power anymore. He can sit in the house if he wants. It sounds like the Secret Service hates him because they got most of them in, uh, like infected with COVID right now. <laughs> they go in and pull him out. Yeah. And if he doesn't, he, if he doesn't let them take over, then the leader of the house, because like after the election, but you don't have a drop dead day. You don't have a lot of Republicans like, supporting that idea right now. They're not coming yeah, out they, and saying it. Oh, they want to get their Supreme Court justice in. Once they get that Supreme Court justice in, then it's fine. Yeah, maybe. I don't think I think you guys are like Donald Trump was like they hated Donald Trump before. He's been a useful tool until this point. He already lost them the House. He's probably going to lose them the Senate. Yeah. 
And we like, I remember when George Bush was in power, there was a lot of talk with civil war and stuff like that. All this stuff was going to happen. The U.S. makes so much money right now. It's just like a machine that powers forward. It's a shitty machine that fucks over its own people all the time. It's barely a democracy. The other thing about the U.S. and they're like, we're a democracy. We allow choice. We're not like a country like China where you can only choose from one party. We allow you to choose from two. So it's like, what the fuck is really the difference if like the Democrats in power or the Republican? You get a choice of two people. I agree with you, Coleman, and, I'm, and I, I think we've—you're we, right in in a sense that maybe you know. I'm not saying that any of the things that we talked about are going to happen. I'm interested in the fact that it's for the first time ever, even if it's a small possibility, is a a possibility in my lifetime anyway. Because like God, like you said, the '60s there was a a moment of turmoil there too. Um, well, there's been turmoil already. Yeah. And like, did anything really happen from that? They changed the Aunt Jemima bottle. They didn't give him anything else. <laughs> the, the U.S. has an incredible ability to withstand to withstand turmoil and then go back to like just just the way it was. I, to just exploiting the workers. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess part of me thinks, you know, Chicken Little says the sky is falling and then the sky doesn't fall until it does. Right. And you can you can make a lot of money betting against Chicken Little every time. But then, I mean, is this the time? Probably not. But is it a one in a billion chance that things go seriously awry in America? I would say it's definitely higher than that. And I think part of the problem is it's almost like we lack the imagination. Just n- no one in our lifetime has ever really been in a situation where there are you know, two guys legitimately saying, I'm the president-elect of the United States, and they both have big followings agreeing with them. Like, so much of democracy is just based on norms and people's sort of acceptance of this of the situation. And the good like faith Trump of the opposition, because, which the Republican yeah, Party has shown none of it. Well, they've never shown, like, good faith. I think there's more money for Donald Trump specifically to claim it that he's the uncrowned president of the U.S. from his own shitty cable news network somewhere, so he can spew on every like Thursday night, owning this little network that seems to be they've bought shares in that uh, One America News Network. Yeah. But if he goes to jail, a more- week also, yeah. Hmm? If he goes to jail, then uh, he probably well, get to do his hits. Richard Nixon should have went to jail. How did that turn out? He wasn't as hated. <laughs> Yeah, he was pretty he was hated. Pretty hated, but I think I think if you guys are looking for justice for a rich white man in the U.S., <laughs> you've come to the wrong goddamn place. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> when it comes time to prosecute Donald Trump, they're going to be like, "In the interest of national unity, we've decided to let this pass." Yeah, we'll, like, we'll let him move. And that's assuming, and that's assuming he lives through this goddamn thing. Which, by the way, if you are in the Trump administration and your only goddamn job is to keep this one old fat orange man from getting COVID-19 and you have all all the tools and resources of the U.S. government to keep that from happening. How the fuck do you fail so badly? <laughs> and not only do you let him get COVID, the top of like everyone who the who's who of the Republican Party is getting COVID-19. Chris Christie got COVID nineteen. You think that guy's not at risk for? Like, I think I you. Think, part yeah, of your, 
Part that your... guy has he has a front butt. Chris <laughs> Christie has a prominent front butt. That is horrible for COVID. People with front butts do not do well Stat when they show. have COVID nineteen. That's just science. Oh. Scott, yeah, what are you saying? I think what you're saying is how could it, you know, with all these resources, and it's like saying we have the world's leading horse leaders to water in the world. So how on earth could that horse not be drinking? And it's like, well, because the horse is a moron and belligerently refuses to <laughs> yeah, have yeah. all of the yeah. best plans, the best people, the best intentions. At the end of the day, that horse just wants to jam its head in a bucket full of COVID and there's nothing <laughs> you can do or say that will, you know, that will stop him. Um, Which I want to point out, I come from a family, we had horses like my, my entire childhood and I, I don't like that saying for one reason is like horses fucking love water. They love water. <laughs> if you take, like, especially on a hot day, if you take a horse to water, it will drink the shit out of that water. It's like, that's just how stupid Trump is. <laughs> like, yeah. Horses know that they need water to survive. And this fucking administration, if only there was a thin piece of fabric that you could put over someone's mouth that greatly reduced the chances of transmitting this stupid thing. <laughs> and yeah, I think you're underestimating uh, how difficult it must be to get Trump to take his fucking vitamins, to get Trump to eat his vegetables, you know, to get Trump to uh, go to bed at a recent hour and not watch Fox News all night. All of these things that could help uh, one have a healthy immune system and resist the pandemic that's going on. Could you imagine what it would well, be like is... to have to tell him that he can't do the rallies? Like that lasted for, you know, maybe a couple months. Well, he went and did a rally on Thursday, yeah. a, t a small, or I guess a fundraiser, but he totally had it. Yeah. He totally had it. The timeline says that he had it and they knew that he had it and he still went there. So I guess this because is because he's a toddler and he won't listen. Yeah. We're not saying anything that people probably don't already know. This is the question then. What do we, th you're talking about the timeline, Coleman, there's a lot of, and I haven't seen a lot of the stuff, a lot of the big stuff that happens, uh, you know, minute by minute, I'm, I'm asleep, uh, when these things go on and I just catch the highlights in the morning. What is the situation that you're getting like the sense of what's going on with this? Can, and, and it just seems like, how can we even know anything? The, the white house isn't going to tell us the truth. The media wants to spin this a million different ways. I think, Scott, you made the, the, the joke before the podcast started that news is in a, in a horrible inflation or deflation cycle right now. Hyperinflation. Hyperinflation, that's the one. That's, they're printing way too much news right yeah. now. It's, just, it's too much everywhere. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. I mean, would, but does this even really affect the election i mean i've heard all the things being like well he's gonna if he's if he if he survives he comes out saying well see i told you it wasn't that bad um uh, there you go uh or he survives and said hey it was they gave me hydroxychloroquine everybody go out and buy that you know like and if he dies I what is it what is it <laughs> what does it mean then it's just well the the cabal of liberal democrats Fucking gave him COVID and killed him on purpose, assassinated our guy. I'm calling it right now that they're going to, well, he's, because they have him tweeting again, but it's like, it really looks like someone that's like tweeting on his behalf yeah. to make it seem like, but they're going to like build up this story about how he's going to try and bring the, the, the country together. And it's like, we all need to come together to support him. He might even get a little bit of a bump from it. 
But that fucking guy, if he gets out of this, the first time he's in front of a microphone, he's going to say something so profoundly stupid <laughs> that he's going to he's going to lose all the benefit. Like he's going to show up and he's going to blame Somali immigrants for giving him COVID or something like that. And he's going to lose all the benefits that he got from this. Thing. Or even worse, because, I mean, he's shown that immigrants are a, a scape, scapegoatable population in the U.S. He's going to burn, like like you said, like the CIA or the military or something or blame it on the nurses that didn't give him good enough pillows or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Scott, what do you what do you see coming out of all this? Because Boris Johnson honestly, did get a bump from yeah. when he got it early on in the pandemic. Actually, yeah. that bump was before. Yeah, I don't know. I read that. that it was the, before. Uh, oh, okay. He was already kind of getting the pandemic bump. I think, the, in my humble opinion, the best thing that could probably happen for the United States is Trump gets really sick, um, but doesn't die, but gets sick enough, and it becomes public that it's undeniable like to his own base, I think would convince a lot of people this is real. Um, Ooh, I think you underestimate the base. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But hopefully there might be something that if your leader could be taken down by this, then it could happen to any of us. Um, I think you're right. If he gets a real mild case and recovers, then it's absolutely going to be like, see, it's just the flu. So why, you know, no one's going to care. And if he dies, it's going to be, a million conspiracy theories and you know it'll just be absolute chaos it doesn't even seem the u.s has clear rules about say if he were to win the election but then die before inauguration day it's not it's not the same as if just automatically pence becomes president there's some you know it's it gets very messy um but i think he probably will get really sick already it seems to be that he is not doing super well they had a press conference today where they're very misleading and kind of not saying much and generally like they spent four years lying about everything um so it's it's impossible to really get a good sense of what's true and what's not here but i think if he was actually just feeling pretty much fine and had the sniffles they would say that he would be on twitter there would be videos the fact that it's Twitter silence and Coleman, you're right. It's clear these tweets are being written by like a Trump Twitter impersonator. Um, the spelling's too good. Him. The grammar, it's full yeah. sentences. Yeah. Well, it, it's still like it, random capitalization and stuff. Like they're really trying to go for the accent, but uh, well, the, the spelling was like per- it was too good at the start, but then they just changed because he's been tweeting a couple times like while we've been recording this, and it's clear that like they've picked up on the the criticism and they've changed it <laughs> to try and copy it. Like it's that obvious. Um, but I don't think I don't think he gets any bump at all, honestly, yeah. simply because he's been so belligerent about downplaying the epidemic or pandemic that uh i don't i think virtually everyone was thinking well you know that's chickens coming home to roost no one's thinking poor him you know he did everything he could to fight this virus and still it came for him it seems like he really did his best to get the virus and then he did and now He's getting what he deserves. I don't think a lot of people are going to feel a ton of sympathy or certainly think the man who couldn't protect himself from COVID should be leading the country through the next phase of the pandemic. Uh, I don't think there's no way this helps him politically at all in, in my view. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, gonna... I think he has his base that will vote for him. He has those people. Um, this is, you know, we'll, we'll wrap things up here as we go. Um, but we could have done a whole show on QAnon and the, and the QAnon phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Uh, so those people are going to vote for him. There, there will be people that votes for him. It will be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, I don't, you don't want anyone to die. I was talking about this with a friend last night. It's like, I don't want anyone to die. I don't want to wish death upon anyone. But it's hard to have sympathy for, for someone that's conducted themselves in the way that he has uh, in the position that he has. Uh, and then, like you said, chickens coming home to roost. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, if, I think if you're, you're right, Scott, that the best case scenario would be a brush with death. <laughs> and yeah. then coming back uh, Coleman I agree with you that any sort of gain that he might get the minute he gets in front of a microphone is just going to be lost but it's not going to be lost on that core group of people that are voting for him so I'm not going to say never um, ne I'm, I'll never say never but uh, I'll, Coleman if you want to wrap up anything uh, that we've talked about in the last little bit please do and then we'll go to Scott if you want to pump your Instagram accounts, please do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's one more Trump point. I find it hilarious that this is the man that wants to take away any semblance of government-supplied health care <laughs> for the people of America right now. And it was pointed out on Twitter that one treatment of the experiment, one of the experimental drugs he's been given for for his COVID case in one of his the two facilities that he's been treated for the both the uh, the White House and the government run hospital that he's currently at cost more than either of his seven hundred and fifty dollar tax returns <laughs> while he was president. This guy, this guy is a horrendous piece of shit. He's the fucking worst. And if you're an, I don't know how many American view listeners you get, and I don't imagine any of them would be undecided at this point. It's like, if you are undecided at this point, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what are you thinking? What, like, there's no possible, like, we have nothing no, new to learn about this guy. Nothing. There's no big, there's no big surprise as far as Trump goes. So fuck him. You know what? I don't really care what happens to him. He's just a horrendous person. <laughs> he's been a, he's been hand in hand in the death of over 200,000 people in his country. I don't care what happens to him. I don't wish any ill will for him, but I don't particularly wish any goodwill towards him. Follow me at at Lionel Steel. <laughs> Thank you, Coleman. Uh, Scott, you got any final thoughts? I had seen a joke recently that someone said in the future, historians of 2020 will focus on single days. You'd have some professor to say, my area of expertise is actually October 2nd, 2020. A little bit of a spillover into the third, but that's really honestly what it feels like right now, that the, like, the news is coming fast and crazy, and we are truly living in times that will get long sections in the history books. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting. I think I'm uh, a little bit scared for our American cousins. I don't think this is going to be the collapse of America or anything, but things might get pretty ugly for a while. So I admit I'm uh, I have high hopes that uh, we can do you know a podcast in December or January and talk about how everything was kind of overblown and there was just an election and a guy won and they handed the papers and you know that was that. I have high hopes. 
but somewhat low expectations that that will be <laughs> how it goes. So yeah, I just want to say I am very, uh, very curious to see how things play out and uh, maybe put your guns away. America for a couple months would be great. And I don't really have Instagram. So uh, just follow Brad instead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of wraps it up. We wait, we wait and see. And, you know, maybe this is just um, the first in the the first step in the long decline of America. And we can talk about that next time. You know, what, what did it take the Roman Empire to fall 100 years in today's time? What is that? 10 years. So who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, thanks, guys. Let me reiterate. This is the panel of very normal average people with just our opinions and some university educations to go on. So that's really going a long fucking way right now. I'm really proud of that university education. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Coleman, Scott, thanks guys for doing this. Uh, We'll catch you next time. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Really appreciate it. Follow me at at Lionel Steele. (laughs) There you have it. Again, many thanks to Scott and Coleman for joining. Steve, we'll catch you next time. Um, follow us at 2 brad for you Instagram, Twitter, at uh, BeVanParadon. You can find me there as well. Leave us a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcasts. would really help us out. You can also go to the website at 2 There is a comment form there so those are your ways to get in touch we would love for you to get in touch drop us a a message a question uh leave us a a voice recording maybe we'll put it on the show maybe no guarantees thank you all so so much for listening stay safe take care of each other and we'll see you next time bye for now Norwegian. <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> All right. Leave it to a goddamn Norwegian to talk like that. We'll we'll save we'll save that for another podcast. I say yeah, this is all making the cut, right? <laughs>